All right, so raise your hand if you currently have or very soon will have a Christmas tree in your home. Raise your hand. Fantastic. Yeah. For, for most of us, for most Americans, most people in the West, as a matter of fact, uh, Christmas trees are a central part of our Christmas celebration. Uh, a few facts about Christmas trees. Uh, first, in the U.S. alone, about $5 billion are spent every year on real and fake Christmas trees. We buy over 54 million Christmas trees a year. On average, a family will spend about 80 bucks on a Christmas tree, real or fake, on an annual basis. Um, here in the U.S., uh, the majority of real Christmas trees that go throughout the United States are grown in just five states. Five states. That's it. The majority of Christmas trees. If you have a Christmas tree, a real Christmas tree in your home that is between six and seven years old, it could have taken anywhere from 10 to 15 years for that tree to grow before it was chopped down and brought into your house. <laughs> Not only do we spend a lot on Christmas trees, but we, we worry a lot about how we will decorate these Christmas trees, and most people are really passionate about how they decorate their Christmas tree. Tell me if this isn't true for you. There's the way that you decorate the tree in your house, and then there's the way everybody else decorates their tree who is wrong. <laughs> there are certain people who are like, only white lights on my tree, and then other people are like, only multicolored lights. Some people say, I will never have a fake tree. Some people say, a fake tree is the best thing that ever happened to me. Some people are really passionate about when you put the tree up. They say it has to happen the day after Thanksgiving. That's the rule in our house. Others, others wait till Christmas Eve to put up their tree, or perhaps they wait till Christmas Eve to decorate that tree. It's a common tradition. And then there are some people who have already had their tree up for so long that they're trying to figure out how to dust the thing. <laughs> and then what do you put on top of the tree? That's an age-old discussion. What's the tree topper? Is it an angel? That's biblical. Uh, but so is the star, which is better. If you don't care about those, those two things, you can go really crazy. Just search on Amazon for tree toppers, and you can get a Santa topper for your tree. Or if you're like a sci-fi nerd, you can go Doctor Who and put that on your tree. If you're a Star Wars geek, you can put Yoda, and maybe eventually Baby Yoda, on the top of your tree. Or if you're a fan of 1950s rock and roll, you can put Elvis on the top of your tree. Although I'd have to see, that's the wrong king to have on the top of your tree at Christmas. No matter how it is that you tweak this tradition, there is, for people of faith, if you choose to see it, a line that is run from this tradition to the heart and soul and the meaning and the message of Christmas. Jump back with me to Luke chapter 1, which we just heard read. This is the announcement of Gabriel, the angel, about the birth of Jesus to Mary. Starting in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's important. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, that name, Jesus, matters. History tells us that this announcement was made into a world that was hurting. It was made to a particular people, the, the Israelites, they become to be known as the Jewish people in first century Palestine, who in particular were hurting. 
They had been told for, for centuries and centuries that they were the one true God's one chosen people. And that he was going to make them into this nation that would be the jealousy of everybody else in the world. That God's love and his power would be so clearly on display in them that everybody else would want to be a part of them. That he would make them the most powerful and blessed nation that the world would ever know. That was the promise. Things, however, had not turned out so well. Yes, the Israelites were, were still God's chosen people, but they had pressed against God's power, pressed against God's promises, like, like spoiled children who always find a way to whine, that was the Israelites. Uh, like an unfaithful spouse who's constantly flirting with something better, that was the Israelites. And it got to a point where God was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done with you. Like, I still love you. You're still mine, but I'm going to punish you. And he allows them to be overtaken by other nations. To the point where when, when Jesus' birth is announced, the Israelites are not sitting pretty in God's city of Jerusalem. They are actually scattered around the known world, like a Christmas bulb that falls from the tree and breaks all over, and the pieces are everywhere. That was God's people. They are scattered all over the known world. Many of them are angry. They're angry because the Romans are oppressing them, and that's not the way it's supposed to be, and they're very, very disappointed in God. Very disappointed in God. Because he's not keeping up his side of the bargain. Or so they would think. Which is what makes the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary so important and so life-changing. Because the angel announces to Gabriel, the angel announces to Gabriel that that Jesus is going to, the angel announces rather to Mary that Jesus is going to be born and Mary is an Israelite girl. She's one of the chosen people. And Mary is engaged to a man named, man named Joseph who is part of the line of David, King David, a former king of Israel. And the angel says to Mary, you shall call him Jesus, which in Hebrew means Joshua, Yeshua, the Lord will save us. You see, Mary had grown up in a world where she had been told over and over and over again that God was going to save his people and rescue his people, that God was going to draw them back together and make them a great people. But she'd been living in a world where the goodness and the greatness of God was always in the past and never in the present. And where the answer to everything was, you've got to wait, you've got to wait, you've got to wait. And so if you were to ask Mary what her attitude prior to the announcement of the angel was and what the attitude of all of the people in, in the Israelite community was, they would see that God seems very far away and very disappointing to us. Because the answer is always God used to do miraculous things in our midst and one day he'll do them again. But the answer was never now. It was never today. It was always back then and someday in the future, but for now you got to wait. God is silent right now. Feeling that way is not just an Israelite thing. I think it's a human thing. Maybe some of you are struggling because as you enter into Advent and head towards Christmas, this is going to be the first Christmas that you've ever experienced without someone that you deeply love, a parent or a spouse or a child. And you prayed and prayed and prayed for that to not be the case, but that prayer didn't seem to be answered in the way that you wanted at least, and it seems like the answer was no for now, and you just got to wait. 
Or maybe you are in a marriage that's really frustrating at the moment or a job that's really discouraging at the moment or with kids who are really draining and depleting at the moment or a body that is aching and will not heal at the moment and you've been praying and asking for God to do something and it seems like the answer is not now, not now. You've heard he's done great things in the past. He's not doing anything for you, it seems, in the present and you just got to wait for a better future. And you're kind of tired of waiting. See, it's not just the Israelites in the first century that were feeling this way. You and I, from time to time, we feel this way too. But again, that's what makes the announcement of the angel to Mary so important. You see, the Israelites were waiting for a new Joshua. Joshua was the one who led the Old Testament people into the promised land. And now with God's people having been scattered all over the world and frustrated, they were waiting for the promised new Joshua to arrive to gather God's people back and take them into this new reality where they would once again be God's chosen people and flourish under his hand. And so when the angel shows up and says, Mary, Israelite girl, though you are just 13 or 14 years old, you've been chosen by God. You're betrothed, you're betrothed to Joseph, who's of the line of David, one of the, the greatest kings of Israel. And you're going to call this baby Jesus, which in Hebrew is Joshua, which means the Lord saves. What the angel was saying to Mary is, the time is now. The time of now never being now is over. It's now. Today is the day where God is going to show up. Today is the day where God is going to act. The waiting is over. This child that you will bear, he will be the one to gather God's people back around him and lead you into the bright future that God has planned for you. He will bring hope and blessing and goodness to everybody else in the world. And his very presence, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, it will be the thing that vanquishes any reason you've ever had to think God is distant and disappointing. That's what the angel was saying to Mary. Now, now, what does this have to do with Christmas trees? Here's what it has to do with Christmas trees. Um, have you ever thought just how crazy this practice is of taking a, a pine tree and bringing it into your living room? If you're a fan of Jim Gaffigan, he has a whole like, little bit on this where he talks about how bringing a Christmas tree into your house sounds like something uh, a, a drunk person would do. <laughs> Why is the pine tree in the living room? It's for Jesus! and we're going to decorate it, and I'm going to put my socks on the fireplace. <laughs> it sounds ludicrous. This thing that, that clearly belongs outside, it has no business inside, and then we put lights on it, and we let this thing that belongs in the outside but has come inside, we let it light up our ordinary life while we watch The Office on Netflix, or we eat leftovers for dinner, or we help the kids with homework. It's a very strange thing, and yet it connects directly to what Christ has done. Because what do we believe that Christ has done? We believe that Christ has come as God in flesh from the outside in. From the outside of creation into creation. Uh, look again at what Gabriel says. Gabriel says in verse, starting in verse 32, he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The angel tells Mary that in the birth of Christ, God himself was entering our world. God himself was invading our home, so to speak. 
And you can say, so, I've heard that all along as I've been growing up, but if you just write off the idea of God taking on flesh and coming into our world, you are, you are missing the most jaw-dropping reality that has ever been proclaimed upon the human existence. What we believe is that God in his fullness has taken on flesh and come into this world. That God who created this thing entered into this thing. That God who enjoys the worship of angels and the splendor of heaven has set all those things aside and taken up residence here among us. And not just for like a photo op, like when a presidential candidate comes to town and they're here for like five minutes, just long enough to shake a few hands and kiss a few babies and then they're out. No, he was born as a baby and lived a life here, the fullness of God in flesh here with us. Now, for those of you who have like dabbled in world religions a bit, you might say, well, Matt, there are other religions that believe similar things, to which I would say, you need to go back and read your notes because that is not the case. There are other religions like, say, Islam and Mormonism that believe God has sent prophets and divine-like people into our midst. There is mystic Judaism and Eastern religions that believe that the divine can be experienced here. There's Greek mythology that believes that the gods have come down and kind of messed with creation. But there is no other religion, no other faith that believes that the fullness of God has taken on flesh and taken up residence here, like a pine tree brought into the living room to a place it doesn't belong, has come into creation and set up residence here and shone light on us. Now, the question is, why would he do that? Why would God enter into a place where we look at him and go, you don't belong here? And the answer is simple but essential. Because he loves you. And that's what love does. Love shows up. Love bridges the gap between you and it. Love, love bridges the gap. Love shows up. Love makes itself known. Uh, some of you are, are frustrated because you believe that, that God has not done anything to make himself known to you, to make it clear to you that he sees you, that he understands you, that he feels your pain, that you're not alone, that you matter to him. And what I would say to you is that's not true because that's what the message of Christmas in and of itself is. It's the lengths to which God has gone in his love to make himself known to you. Love shows up and bridges the gap. Uh, over the last few weeks, a uh, few months rather, I've, I've been doing a, a decent amount of traveling between Sundays, uh, preaching and speaking in some other places, and I've, I've, I've been blessed to represent St. Mark and talk about Jesus in places like Fargo, North Dakota, and Helsinki, Finland. I've got to get some warmer climates on my radar. Fargo, North Dakota, and Helsinki, Finland, and a bunch of places in between. And I'm really thankful for technology. I'm thankful for the fact that because of Apple, I can open up FaceTime, and I can see my wife from a million miles away, or I can say bedtime prayers with my kids, even though I'm on the other side of the globe. I love technology, but, but even as I'm far away, even as I'm enjoying technology, I think, man, there is nothing better than being there, and I wish I was just there with them. That's what love always wants, to be in the room, right? And I think this is something, just as a quick aside, that's very easy for, for men in particular to lose sight of. We, we try to make our love clear in ways other than being present very often. We'll say, well, I go to work and I work hard and I provide for the family. I, I, I show that I'm proud of you. I tell you that I love you. And all those things are great. But then we, we always have to be reminded that 
that our wife, that our children, that the people who matter most to us, they would trade all those other things for our presence, for being with us. No matter how great technology gets, no one's going to win Father of the Year by showing up to their daughter's soccer game via hologram. <laughs> because love wants to be in the room, and love shows up. How do you know that God loves you and that he sees you? The fullness of God took on flesh, and he came here, here, to this earth, to this planet, and he was with you. But then he went further. And not only did he show up to make his love known to you, but he brings with him these blessings that never die. He brings blessings that never die. You and I live in a world where, it's sad to say, but all good things do come to an end. <laughs> in this broken world, all good things come to an end. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to, trying to hide that fact from us. In fact, for many, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about kind of denying the, re the difficult realities of life and hiding behind some nostalgia and, and just kind of um, through the celebrations and the parties trying to hide the fact that, that, uh, that all good things come to an end and, and that difficult things still exist. And then December 26 arrives and it all goes back in the box and we realize all good things comes to an end. Uh, the other day, I was feeling some soreness after a run, and I was asking my wife, you know, what do you think it is? And like, without hesitating, without flinching, she looked at me, and she said, old age. <laughs> Which, by the way, I cannot say to her. Like, if she's like, man, my, my neck hurts. What do you think it is? I'd be like, because you're so beautiful. Like, that's the only response that I can offer to her. But we live in a world where no matter how fit you are, fitness fades, right? Uh, cute toddlers become teenagers. <laughs> uh, good jobs lead to a retirement, eventually. Um, that even the best of marriages will end with a farewell. This side of eternity, all good things come to an end, and as a result, many of us, we walk around waiting for the other shoe to drop. But what we believe is that Jesus comes into this world like a, like a pine tree into the living room, into this place he doesn't belong, and he brings blessings that never fade like the rest of the world fades. That's why we bring evergreens in and not oak trees. Because it is, it is symbolic of the fact that what Jesus Christ brings will never fade like the summer or fall like the leaves. It will last forever, no matter what is being experienced around you right now. Jesus Christ has lived and died and rose to secure your forgiveness. So right now, you, you, there is nothing you could do that could drain God of all the mercy and grace he has for you. He will always forgive you. He will always forgive what's done today. He will forgive whatever happens tomorrow. That's secured because of Jesus. And Jesus rose from the dead, and he promised that one day when he comes back, you too will be risen from the dead. And he will usher you into a new creation where the other shoe never drops. And that's God's promise for you. And right now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's still working. Like, he's the reason you're here today. He's working through his word to instruct people and guide people. He's working through his spirit to heal people and stir faith in people. He's working to convict them of sins and remind them of forgiveness. He's forming churches and moving churches to move mountains. He's doing incredible things still, and nothing is going to stop him. 
Look, this world can be incredibly discouraging, and I don't want to pull the rug out from under any discouragement that you have this holiday season. It's probably for very good reason. But if your discouragement is not tinged with any hope at all, it's probably because the bulk of your hope is in the wrong things. We do not put our hope in the fitness of our bodies, the size of our bank accounts, the success of our careers, the endurance of our relationships, or our good works that can be noticed by an elf on a shelf, because all those things will stop. All of them. We put our hope in what Jesus Christ, God in flesh, has come into this world and promised to us, forgiveness that will never fade, a life in the end that will never ever end. That's what he gives to you. That's what he gives to you. Let let me close with a question for you. What is your greatest source of pain right now? It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be something in your family, something at work. It could be grief. What is it? What causes you angst or frustration or just sadness? Now let me ask you this. Why did you put up a tree this year? Was it just because? It's what you do? Or is it because you believe? It's because you believe that no matter what's going on around you, that that God has entered into your world and given certain things that cannot be taken or stolen from you. Certain peace and certain promises. If that's the reason why you put up a tree, then your tree is not merely a decoration in your home. It is a declaration of your hope. Your belief that God has come into this world to show you, he's come close to show you how much he loves you and he's bringing with him certain gifts that will not fade or fall away for you. And your tree is a declaration of hope out the front window of your home to a dark world. Something has entered in to a place that doesn't belong and it is evergreen, it does not fade. My hope is that every time you look at that tree, whether there's Darth Vader on the top of it or some cute little angel, you might be reminded of that truth. That you might might say, not just, man, the king looks good up there, but you might be reminded that God has come close and given you things that cannot be taken from you. And just in case you need an extra reminder, inside of your worship folder, we gave everyone a Christmas tree of their own. (laughs) Consider this a Christmas tree for your SUV. And no, we are not making any passive-aggressive statements about how your car smells. (laughs) Although we've heard things, I'm just going to (laughs) say. Or consider it an ornament for your fake tree that needs to smell a little bit like a real tree. That's strong. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Just another reminder so that whenever you look at this, you might realize that no matter what's happening around you, 
God has entered in and proven his love to you and given you gifts that cannot be taken from you. Let's pray.